Hello, and welcome to Objective Health. I am your host today, Erica, and joining me in our virtual studio is Doug, Elliot, Tiffany, and behind the scenes is Damien. So welcome all. Hello. So today we're going to cover another topic of health and wellness uh, that is not related to the COVID. Uh, We are going to be talking about polypharmacy or the use of multiple drugs to treat a single ailment or condition and what can be done to kind of combat this over medication of everyone on the planet these days. And um, what kind of inspired this discussion was a recent article that came out in October 16th by Sebastian Rushworth, a medical doctor, and it's called Deprescribing. And essentially, um, the doctor talks about working as a physician in a geriatric hospital, uh, taking a couple of months to do that, and how he was struck by the large amount of medications that patients were on. And so um, in this article, he does a really good job of kind of breaking down how many medications uh, people in the US are, Sweden, other countries, and how this trend of over-prescribing, um, and that's about five or more medications since 2006, has just dr- drastically risen. And uh, we've um, talked about you know medications in the past on our show, but it's really kind of concerning, especially for older people. Um, And in this article, he addresses um, four topics that we hope to cover today. And the first concern is um, how scientific studies on drugs are actually carried out. And uh, scientific studies mainly look at just a single condition. So he uses heart disease as an example, and they exclude people with comorbidities like lung disease or diabetes. And, he says that there's just very little data on what happens when you give medications to people with several underlying conditions. And so we don't really know, he's saying that if they actually harm or help the patient. So what do you all think? Like just addressing that, I mean, we've, we've talked so much in the past about how studies can be corrupt, how, you know, there's obviously financial interests, especially in places like the U.S. You know, you're, we're one of the only countries that still markets medication to people through advertising. And um, what does this mean? I mean, are we a nation, particularly in the U.S., of, you know, when you're 70 years old, you're taking 10 to 15 different drugs a day. And what kind of effect is that having on the body? Yeah. Well, I think you definitely make a good point about the fact that they don't look at underlying conditions. Like what they're doing these studies on are healthy people. They always, they will exclude people who have underlying conditions for these studies. So essentially all the information that they have about any given medication is from people who are healthy. So when they put these, uh, do these, these studies, they're, they're looking at people who don't have any, you know, um, co factors, co diseases, whatever you would say. So they really don't know, like say you do have a heart condition, but you've also got a lung condition. It's like, they don't know whether this medication would have any effect on that lung condition. 
You know, they've studied it on not necessarily healthy people. I, I misspoke there, but people who have only that single condition. So they know how it will affect people who have heart disease, but they don't know if how it will affect people who have heart disease and kidney problems and liver problems and lung problems, etc. So yeah, I think I think it's a big problem. Um, it really is kind of going in blind because I would imagine that a, a significant number of people who end up on these medications do have more than one issue. That's probably more common than most people think. And I've looked into this like years ago, I tried to research, like, were there any studies that looked at polypharmacy and the interaction of the drugs? Like, say you're taking a, a blood pressure medicine along with a medication like levothyroxine or Synthroid or something for your thyroid. I've not been able to find any studies where they look at the interaction over the long term of certain medications. Like if you're a pharmacist or a doctor, like sometimes with certain um, medication programs or electronic medical records, it'll ping you sometimes. If you're about to prescribe a new medication, it'll say it has an interaction with this medication. Mm. Like there are some drugs where it's known, like if you take um, like a blood thinner and you take certain antidepressants or Tylenol or something, it can increase your risk for uh, adverse event with bleeding. But I think that overall, just like if you're taking like a, a statin or a thyroid medication and a blood pressure medication and a diabetic medication, like that's not unusual to see mm. like people, not many. And that's not even considered a lot. But um, I haven't been able to find any studies that show the long term effects of polypharmacy. And um, he actually points that out in this article that there really are none or if there are some they're extraordinarily hard to find mm. yeah that was the fourth point that he mentioned one of the issues with this kind of research um it's it's a similar way to kind of toxic chemicals right generally the research will focus on the one thing in a specific context mm -hmm. maybe for a couple of different health conditions they do not focus on there's they don't study polypharmacy and like uh, someone just said generally it's very uncommon to find people who are on one medication because the the way that this polypharmacy or the, the way that it plays out in real life and i see it every single day like i work with people who've just gone through this entire system i'm sure tiff you see it every single mm -hmm. day as well right yeah you know you go through this system and the way that it works is that you you prescri you prescribed a, a, a medication for some kind of underlying health issue whether that be, I don't know, IBS, whether it be arrhythmia, high cholesterol, uh, anything, right? Diabetes. So you prescribe one type of medication, but unfortunately or inevitably, someone usually experiences some kind of side effect, whether that is what they notice in their symptoms or whether that is something that changes in their blood work. So mm -hmm. the drug is having some kind of adverse effect. It might be affecting their electrolytes. It might be playing around with their heartbeat, their heart rate, their blood pressure, whatever it is. And so what you end up seeing is that someone is kept on that original medication, but they're given another medication to counteract the side effects of the original medication. So for instance, here's an example. If someone's given a medication 
and the side effect is is high blood pressure, they will then be given another medication, which is designed to lower the blood pressure. And then if they develop diarrhea or constipation or some other kind of side effect from that second medication, they're then prescribed a third, a fourth, a fifth medication. And so it's basically playing catch up all the time. And so these people are continually put on more medica- medications simply to deal with the side effects of the other medications. And for some of these people, they only have one original health condition, like one health concern to start mm-hmm. off with. And then as they continually go through the, you know, kind of many years of taking multiple medications, they de- then um, progress or develop other health conditions, which are no doubt in many cases, a side effect of the medications that they've been put on to deal with the side effects. And one of the crazier parts of this is that frequently when they do develop side effects, whether they recognize this as a uh, a side effect of the medication that they're taking or not, because sometimes not all effects happen and not all side effects are listed for every drug. But if you develop an effect, whether you call it a side effect or not, sometimes that's just deemed by the doctor as the natural progression of your disease, Mm -hmm. not necessarily a side effect of the medication that you're taking to treat this disease. Say like you have some kind of, well, if you have a high blood pressure and you just start off taking like one blood pressure medication and you start developing like some kind of heart arrhythmia, they'll say, oh, it's just because, you know, your blood pressure wasn't well controlled with this particular medication or you weren't compliant enough with this medication, didn't take it as directed. So now it's gone on to affect your heart and really it's just a medication side effect. I think they call that a prescribing cascade. Yeah. It's like you start with one drug and then you have two drugs and it's three drugs, it's four drugs, like just to all mitigate the effects of the other drugs. Yeah, there's a, one other really common common thing that is that I see quite frequently is originally being put on a statin, statin developing myalgia, depression. So then you put on some kind of uh, pharmaceutical kind of um, prescription pain medication because you've got muscle pains. Then you, you, your heart starts failing, whatever. You put on kind of blood pressure meds and then you're also put on an antidepressant because they tell you that you're depressed because you feel fatigued all the time and you've got no, no motivation. They don't consider that that is a natural consequence of taking a statin. And that's how it's affecting you. It's nutritionally depleting you. It's doing all of this other kind of stuff. You're not even able to make hormones because you're so low in cholesterol. But no, they don't look at that. They simply prescribe more medications. So yeah, whether it's acknowledged as a side effect or not, or whether it, they deem it as a natural progression or kind of an organic condition, either way, it's very easy once you do enter that medical system with some kind of diagnosis and presenting symptoms to then go on to develop or to be prescribed seven, eight, nine, ten, even 15 medications sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. That seems criminal. It really does. I mean... I mean, he talks about the third problem here, especially in elderly patients, is that um, they see lots of different doctors and uh, a new doctor usually doesn't want to stop the medication that a previous doctor has started. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as you were saying, Elliot, like some of these medications, these elderly patients have been taking for 10 and 10 or more years and they, they don't even really know why. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's crazy too because it's. Uh, in, in I know in in some cases when there's a, a psychiatrist involved, often the psychiatrist will have them on you know drugs of some kind, some kind of psychotropic medications for depression or whatever. Sometimes several. And then the family doctor doesn't want to interfere with what the psychiatrist is doing, so they don't question anything like that. They just throw more drugs on to uh, maybe combat the side effects of those or for an unrelated condition or somewhat related condition. So when you have multiple doctors on the scene, that's that's another issue because they, again, like you said, Erica, they don't want to interfere with what the other person is doing, and they don't question it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's one of the one of the downfalls of modern day medicine that there are so many different specialists and mm. many doctors are not trained to treat the body as a whole. There's all these pieces, parts that they treat. So someone sees uh, a pulmonologist and a cardiologist and a psychiatrist and an internal medicine doctor, and they're all doing different things. They're all looking at this one little part and nobody looks at the person as a whole person. And right. then you come up with, you know, things like problems with polypharmacy yeah yeah well one other point he made that i thought was a really good point it was his point number two we're kind of jumping all over the place but so be it you'll um, get all four yeah <laughs> um is that studies on medications are generally done on patients with functioning kidneys and a functioning liver uh the kidney, kidneys and liver are the organs that metabolize and excrete the drugs from the body so essentially they don't know anything about these drugs in in patients who don't have those functioning organs that aren't able to detoxify the person properly. And so what that means is that essentially the drugs aren't being detoxified as quickly as they would in a person with properly functioning uh, detoxification organs. So the drug is going to stick around for longer. Um, and that you know, that should, there should be some kind of study on that to figure out, well, how do you adjust the dose in that situation? Or should the patient be on this drug at all in that um, kind of situation? So I thought that was another thing that's... Um, yeah, big problem. Yeah. And and this, this kind of, this is somewhat related to... Um, there's there's this idea of pharmacogenomics right so so essentially there's what a lot of researchers are looking at now or what they're suggesting is this idea of kind of individualized medicine and what that fundamentally means in our modern day and age is to be looking at each individual and how they individually metabolize that medication before even putting them on the medication mm -hmm. right so We've spoken in the past about all of the um, what are they iatrogenic deaths, giving medications which cause adverse reactions, which cause allergic reactions, which cause sudden death, all of this kind of stuff. Well, a lot of this can be somewhat bypassed. I say somewhat bypassed. I don't think all of it can be bypassed because some of these drugs are just downright toxic. <laughs> but ultimately, in the context of what you're talking about, Doug, not only does liver function and kidney function, that's important with relation to liver failure or kidney failure or some other, you know, under-functioning detoxification organs. But you also have genetic variability here as well. Mm. So each different person has their own. I mean, you've probably, if you've ever done genetic testing or you've ever read any kind of, you know, article, for instance, about whether you are an individual who metabolizes coffee fast or slow, right? So, if you do your genetic testing, then usually you run it through some kind of report and it will tell you whether you're likely able to drink coffee 
and sleep well, or if you're someone who needs to limit your coffee consumption to early in the morning, because, because it will keep you awake at night, right? Well, that has to do with, again, what we're talking about, the ability of the liver to take the drug, which is caffeine, and break it down. So each different person, we all have liver enzymes. We have the, these enzymes, which basically transform different chemicals. So it's called biotransformation. It's a phase of the liver detoxification. It's also found in the kidneys. It's basically how we take xenobiotics. So things which don't exist in the human body, different chemicals of different kinds. This includes pharmaceutical medications, includes certain food compounds, you know, caffeine, these kinds of things. And what we need to do is we need to transform them, make them safer and carry them out of the body. Right? So different people have different abilities to metabolize different chemicals at different rates. So some people can metabolize some things really quickly. Other people metabolize other things really slowly. And this applies to drugs. So there's certain people who certain drugs just do not work very effective for because the rate at which their liver clears it is so fast that the drug doesn't have the ability to kind of remain in circulation for very long, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so what these researchers are basically saying is that, look, we need to be screening people based on their genetic predisposition for this particular enzyme. So an example is CYP1B1, right? And if they have this variation or mutation on that enzyme, then that means that they are not going to be suitable for this drug. That means that this person might need a much lower dose or alternatively, this person needs a much higher dose, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, again, long story short, what I'm trying to say is that there's so many issues with this research because you can look at a paper on 20 participants who are in good health and see that a drug does not cause any adverse reactions. But oftentimes it doesn't look at their genetics, doesn't look at their machinery. It doesn't tell you anything about each different person and why that drug works or why it doesn't work. So, you know, again, just to add to one of the other problems with applying this kind of these principles flat out to everyone across the board, because you just simply cannot do that. And it seems as though it's, it's one of the problems. Yeah, that seems like a pretty tall order, especially for a lot of doctors who spend, what, five or 10 minutes with their patients or can't even be bothered to do a, a culture before prescribing an antibiotic for somebody <laughs> like they're going to do genetic testing on all of their patients before they start them on a medication that's just oh. goes against the the whole uh i guess the whole environment of uh allopathic medicine like unless you are really taking your health into your own hands and directing your own health care where you decide that you want to genetically test yourself before starting a medication, I don't think is ever going to happen on a wide, uh, on a large scale. It's just too much work for the doctors to do. Well, it also speaks to the fact that so many people now are turning away from that allopathic medicine and yeah. moving towards functional medicine or contacting you, Elliot, or doing other things, because I think people are starting to literally feel it. You know, when you're taking eight to 10 medications a day and you have no energy, I mean, I think people are, are desperate for options, other options, and they're not being given readily, at least not by the Amer Medical Association. Yeah. 
Well, one thing, I, it was this article was very interesting, <clears throat> the deep prescribing one. And one thing he's talking about is basically the idea that what the solution is to all of this is to start actually deprescribing. So taking some of these drugs out of the person's drug regimen. Um, and he talks about, you know, how there, there's, you know, there's a process involved, obviously. He, he said, like, you know, take the, the, you know, take a look at what they're taking and look at the five drugs that they really need, that for sure they really need, and then try eliminating everything else. Um, and I was, I was sitting there as I was reading that and I was kind of like, well, you know, it's probably a very complicated thing. Like somebody really has to look at the patient's history, why something was prescribed, whether or not it's doing what it's supposed to do, whether the side effects that they're suffering from are, are from like what drug that's actually from. And I was like, it would be actually really cool if there were doctors who specialized in deprescribing. Mm-hmm. And then the next article we read, um, which was, um, well, shoot, I don't remember which article it was. Anyway, they actually talked about how there is a um, a branch of the uh, Veteran Affairs Office that is actually a deprescribing section where they actually do that. They look at the patient and what they're taking, and they actually make recommendations on what drugs can be stopped, what ones they don't actually need, what ones could be replaced. You know, if there's a, a drug that does maybe more than one thing, maybe you could take that uh, instead. And they kind of, you know, look at the whole patient's history, um, if it's available, and kind of see where where were these prescribed? What was it for? Why did this happen? And actually, like, intelligently, somebody, like, actually thinking to look at the whole picture, you know, as a change. Like, let's actually take a look at the at the big picture here, and what is this person doing what do they need to do and what can be eliminated so i thought that that you know that's going to be a future career for like you know a career stream for people i would think i'll I'll be honest like that that is generally what what the functional medicine or naturopathic doctors do i'm not surprised yeah still considered it's it's considered fringe right there's if you're talking about in the context of conventional medicine if you look at the ratio of like a you know, if you get a good functional doctor, like they will be taking away all unnecessary medications and many of them will actually get rid of all medications mm-hmm. and replace it with nutritional supplements. That's what a lot of the, you know, the really good doctors, mostly in the US, unfortunately, some in the UK, some elsewhere in the world, but that's what the good doctors will do because they understand this. And they're actually many of the people who, uh, who, who educate others on this, right? But if you look at the ratio of, or you look at the the numbers in terms of how many there are in the naturopathic functional world compared to conventional medicine. I mean, it's like, you know, it's minuscule. It's like probably less than 1%. So that being implemented on a, on a large scale, what you would need to do, I think what you would need is you would need to take away the influence of big pharma. Right. Because, that is the <laughs> rotten core at the core of this story, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the that's the that's the thing. That's that's the reason why this happened in the first place, right? And while they're still about, and they are the ones who are directing most of the clinician education, and they're the ones who are giving the subsidies and are giving kind of the pay rises and the bonuses and all this kind of stuff. I don't see it happening anytime soon that you have doctors who actively, who their profession is to is to do the opposite and actually lose money for big pharma. Right. I, I don't think they'd be happy with that. Yeah, it was a pipe dream, I guess. 
Incidentally, um, that article I was trying to remember and couldn't remember is called Do You Really Need All Those Medications? And it was on Yale, YaleMedicine.org, if, if anybody wants to look that up. So. Well, another thing, too, that he mentions in the article, um, in addition to what you folks are saying, is that um, getting an individual patient to actually get educated about their medications, which, you know, pushing up against this behemoth of financial interests, like really um, get, get, getting people to be interested in the knowledge behind it. And, you know, I went through this with my grandmother who was on 10 plus medications and we got them out all on the counter. And I said, well, let's just go through each one and kind of just look it up and see why it's on there. And, you know, she's like, well, I just take it because they tell me to. And I'm like, well, let's just, you know, have a little discussion about it. So, so he said, that's a great way for people to kind of take back the power, the control that they have over their own body is, is asking your doctor, why am I on this medication? Like, you know, some of these illnesses that people have, like, I always think of like restless leg syndrome, like, what, what is it? I mean, what, (laughs) we're going to put you on a, on a psych med because you got a shaky leg or whatever, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, (laughs) I mean, I know, I mean, you have to have a sense of humor about it, but just doing this with my grandmother actually gave her some confidence that she's in control and she can ask the questions, you know what I mean? She's remembering to take all those medications every day. So, she can have control over the situation like why am I on this and you know I've been on this for 10 years and maybe it's not out and you know so I I think that's a a helpful tool for people because a lot of times you feel like he's in a white coat he's got complete control I don't know what I'm doing but you can at least do some cursory looking into it and um, you know involve your family members to help you out Yeah. It's interesting what you were saying, um, Elliot, about um, how to take big pharma out of the equation. I don't know how it works in um, in the U.S. with the veteran affairs people. But are those guys like are they influenced by big pharma? Yeah, they are. (laughs) I mean, they all got the same medical education as any non-VA doctor did. So that's one of the greatest influences. But do they like I wonder if they influence the? Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying for sure. But I wonder Mm -hmm. if they influence the the body as a as a whole. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm not sure about that one. Yeah, because maybe that's how they get away with it. (laughs) If they actually if they actually aren't influenced, they must be influenced in some way, though. Well, I think that with a a lot of doctors, pretty much all they have is their prescription pad. Like if they're following like what they learned in school, like uh, mainstream journals and, you know, articles that come out that are talking about the newest developments and this or that treatment. And then they have the uh, best practices that they have to follow. They don't have very much autonomy in what they can do. Um, unless they're really making a concerted effort in order to really, really learn about health, I think that um, they're kind of just stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the education is a big, a big part of it too. That's what they've mm-hmm. learned to do, you know, treat the body like it's a car. 
Oh, that part's yeah. not working. Throw in this drug. That'll make it work better. Yeah, but it's really not no big thing to see people on 10 plus medications. I mean, that's becoming more and more common. And it always seems like, at least in my personal experience, the people who take the more, most drugs are the sickest. Now, people would argue because I'm so sick, that's why I need to take all these medications. But you could also argue in the opposite direction as well. You are that sick because you take so many medications. Yeah. But uh, the older people that I've worked with come across, the fewer medications they are on, the better. That doesn't surprise yeah, me. Yeah. And and it's about a, a re-educating, you know, like um, just having people think differently. You know, I, I think it's important to see it for what it is and try and be of assistance, like why we do this show. You know what I mean? Because for years now, we've been trying to just shine light on those dark, areas especially in western medicine where um you, you know you you don't have to give over a hundred percent control there is you can press you know ask questions for sure mm -hmm. definitely and don't look to your regulatory agencies in the U.S. to hold pharma accountable. <laughs> you know, well, the FDA, well, as we've said for years, yeah, they're not looking out for your best interest either. Nope. So, especially with the revolving door between the FDA and big pharma companies, big ag and the government, yeah, they're yeah. all in bed with each other. So, I mean, if you really want to change things, start with yourself. Take control of your own health move out to your family members and friends and you might not be able to change the world but you can change your immediate environment and the people within that environment if they so choose exactly yeah so do we have anything else on de-prescribing is there any other important things that we did not add well there was that chart and I forget which article it was in, but all the hundreds of thousands of dollars that Big Pharma has pumped into Congress people, oh, you know, yeah. just the, the huge, huge influence of the Big Pharma lobby on government. So if you do like kind of want to step out of the box, if you're a practitioner of any sort, the it's kind of stacked against you because Big Pharma is like this gigantic hydra. Like, I don't know what it's going to take for these people to go down. They certainly need to go down, but they are so rich and so powerful. I guess, like I said, the only thing you can do is just take care of yourself and don't give them your attention. Don't give them your money or your energy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how they go down, right? If enough people do yeah. that, that's, yeah. that's exactly it. You just, we all just have to collectively ignore them. Mm-hmm and it'll go away and not become victims of their pushing their endless drug pushing yeah exactly <laughs> all right well i think that is all for today we will have another interesting topic again next week and i uh, thank you all for joining us please like and subscribe bye bye everybody bye